The following is a quarantine recording presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we're loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, the first presidential debate of the general election, we cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and rebellion. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays. But we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. this week. I'm so excited, so excited, so excited, so excited, is an artist, a freedom fighter, and the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. She's the founder of the Los Angeles-based organization Dignity and Power Now. She's the New York Times bestselling author of When They Call You a Terrorist, a Black Lives Matter memoir. Not only that, but she was just named as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2020 and Time Magazine's 2020 100 Women of the Year. Yes, this is my homegirl. I know her personally, and we've been knowing each other. I'm talking about Patrice Colors. Hey, boo. <laughs> oh, this is so magnificent. I'm so grateful. I'm so glad that your team hit up my team so that we can be in conversation together. Yes. I feel like yes. whenever there's political crisis in the world, you are the person that I call and text and obviously <laughs> social media posts to now a decade plus later. Here we are, dear. I know it, girl. <laughs> and literally when the world is going absolutely bananas, you are the person that I call to just like, First of all, to make it make sense, because I'm like, girl, am I tripping? You're like, no, 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 you're not. You're you're right on point. And then I'd be like, but should I cut somebody? And you'd be like, no, girl, don't cut them now. We can't have you in jail. And I'd be like, you're right, you're right. That's pretty much how our conversations go. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so let's start off. I want to talk about your quarantine life, because we're still in a pandemic, girl. We're still in it. Have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? <laughs> I feel like for a long time, up and probably until like the last couple weeks, I definitely, you know, zoomed like in a t-shirt, you know, like oh yeah, 
didn't, I didn't, I, I think I didn't like wear clothes for like five months. Um, so that has definitely been like a unique habit. Just like waking up, yep. doing what I do, you know, trying to wear a robe as like, I've definitely worn a robe like for events. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I think that, I think this looks like, you know, like fashion. Yes, I think girl. this will be fine. Yes. Yes. You're like, this is my new wrap shirt. That's exactly yeah. it. Like this is how it works. <laughs> I love this. I just keep going back to, and it feels like 20 years ago, but I keep going back to the beginning of this whole madness when people were like baking bread and starting gardens and doing all the things. <laughs> I have developed a lot of new pleasures um, in this unique moment. So I'm going to ask you, are there any pleasures that you have indulged in during the Rona that have surprised you? Ooh, I like that. Um, uh, okay, one pleasure that I can like I can endorse on this podcast is watermelon slushy. I had like um, a time where I like I I should have been I should have been making it, but I was ordering it. That's oh. fine, girl. That's fine. That's fine. See, that's a new pleasure. <laughs> watermelon slushy, please, y'all. And if you're in LA, you can get it from Cafe de Mama, which is this like local spot in Koreatown. If you're not, make it yourself and you're, you know, whatever, whatever way you want to make it. But it was, it's delicious. It's life changing, actually. That sounds so good. And I actually have some cut up watermelon in my fridge. So guess what I'm finna do when we get off this podcast about to make me a watermelon slushy. And you know what? If I can hold off until like five o'clock, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to throw some like vodka up in there. <laughs> that I haven't done. Oh, okay. One more pleasure. I'm so glad you asked this question because now it's kicking in. Really, really good Japanese whiskey. Ooh. I've been rocking with like good Japanese whiskey with like um, a few ice cubes. Ooh, <gasps> that sounds delicious. Like legit delicious. That sounds delicious. Well, girl, when this whole thing wraps it up because I really need 2020 to wrap it up and I need Rona to wrap it up. I just, I, I need them to get it together. But once they do, you have to come to San Francisco and we'll go to Nihon, which is a Japanese whiskey bar with <gasps> good food. Oh, yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's okay. on. It's on. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I will be envisioning. That's going to yeah, be. Yeah, like- we have to meditate on that, right? It's like, let's, let's, Bring it into fruition. Japanese whiskey bar on it. A lot of people still, girl, it's been so long. And a lot of people don't know this, but you and I have been knowing each other <laughs> long before Black Lives Matter was even a twinkle in our eye. <laughs> you know, we have been through the fire and back. And now here we are again. Give me some of your reflections, Trice, on the last seven years and maybe some of the biggest lessons. Ooh, child. I know. I'm just <laughs> diving right in. I was like, so let's get deep. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with like challenges first. Sure. You know, I think the, a major challenge was just not knowing what to, what to expect and entering into this powerful movement that we helped usher in and being very naive at the cost 
um, at the sacrifice we were making, you know, and, you know, you and I have obviously been doing movement work and organizing work for a very, very long time for BLM. And we knew, you know, at the local level, the cost of, of working so much and fighting for our communities and sometimes winning, often losing. But I think the experience of building both global movement and a global institution with, you know, just frankly, not having all the skills to, to build it and not knowing that like, oh, there's all these things that we need. I remember when Latifa hit us up, was like, y'all need some lawyers. Yeah, we were like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Why? Why do we need some lawyers? Like, and I just, I'm, I'm recognizing, you know, and this goes into the lessons around like just the really beautiful parts, like how much, as many people who try to cut us down, there were so many people who were rooting for us mm. and, and, and really stepped in in such beautiful, graceful ways to support us and buoy us, you know, throughout these last seven years. And so even in the lowest moments and the moments where the right has, you know, used us to amplify their cause and used us to pit us against the Democrats. That's right. Even in the moments of, you know, white vigilantes sending us hate mail and threatening our literal lives and our families' lives, like there have been a crew of some brilliant human beings that have very much stepped up and tried to shield us um, and protect us and help us continue to build. So it's been, I would not change it for the world. Uh, obviously, if there are things that I knew, what's the saying? I know where you're going. If I, if I knew now what I knew then. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I would have obviously done some things very differently, but I didn't. And I, I think part of my work in therapy is like being like, you're forgivable. You did exactly what you could and you knew, and now you know better and you're doing better. And I think that is like the biggest lesson. Like Mm. when I know some shit, do better. And um, I feel like all of us are, I really do. Like there's something very powerful about the kind of synergy that exists in our movement ecosystem doesn't mean that drama doesn't happen doesn't mean there isn't you know ridiculousness but there is a type of sharpened clarity that I would argue we didn't have four years ago that we do now and we are not playing into bots and interventions from other governments and Mm. we are staying the course and focused and that is powerful There's so much in what you've said here that deeply resonates with me. One is therapy. Get you some. Girl. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. Speak over here. Let me tell you. Baby, I never (laughs) miss a session now. Let me tell you what. I'd be like, oh, I'm tired, but I need this session because real spit, y'all out here acting wild. And if we did not have somebody to talk to and cuss you out to because you know some of it is like the the bottling because you know you want to cuss people out all the time all the time people be like y'all so graceful y'all so dignified i'd be like yeah but in my head (laughs) and in therapy i'm cussing you the fuck out i just want you to understand all the way out (laughs) that's number one but number two i mean this whole thing about grace for not knowing what you didn't know and not 
holding yourself accountable to anything else but doing better when you do know better. I really love what you just said there. And I'm like holding that, holding it, (laughs) holding it. You are an organizer, you're a strategist, and you're an artist. And I think this is something that I know is one of your primary identities, but out in the world, I think people people narrow you, right? So talk to me about your latest works, because you know I'd be following you on the gram, and I was like, oh, this Malcolm X thing you're doing is super cute. It's super cute. I was like, get, sh- let me know what's good. What, what, what are we doing? Um, I still, I'm still, I'm still gonna put you one of my pieces. We're work, we're gonna okay. work that out. That's gonna be. Look, I'm available, girl. I'm available. <laughs> Thank you for listing up my my art practice. You know, so much of what happens, especially when your identity becomes sort of a movement leader identity, is people very much narrow who you are, and. I've talked to so many people who are like, I had no idea you're artists. And I always try to remind people, I was an artist before I was politicized. I've been doing art both as like, you know, because kids do art all the time, but as a trained artist um, since I was a child. And uh, I trained in dance and theater and, um, and then later on in performance art. So I'm working on this project that actually comes out October 2nd uh, with Red Cat Theater And it's called Malcolm Revisited. And I did this piece as a live theater piece three months after I had Shine, because I'm ridiculous. Oh, wow. You'd be grinding. You'd be grinding, girl. You had to get it out. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, sure, three months, I'll be fine. It was very healing to do it, but I definitely would not have a kid and then suggest someone do a theater piece three months later. Sure. (laughs) But I did that piece and and then I beta tested it at uh, this space called Highways Performance Art Space in Santa Monica. And it was beautiful. And the original folks in it were Aaron Lang, Brian Gonzalez, and Prentice Hemphill. And we took Malcolm's speeches and re-recited them as they were um, and really was having a conversation about how Malcolm's speeches are, how they re- resonate in today's society and what we're dealing with. And also having people of trans experience and um, people who are Afro-Latinos speak these speeches. And so one of the artists, Brian Gonzalez, actually did the Who Who Taught You to Hate Yourself speech in Spanish. Mm. Oh, wow. As an Afro-Latino. And so this is an adaptation of that live theater piece because nothing's live right now. And we are creating a short doc. And so I teamed up with this dope director, uh, his name's Sata, and they're in a production company called Slow Blink. Uh, we're oh. premiering it on October 2nd at Red Cat Gallery's website, and I'm so excited. It's going to be very... My big thing was like, let's take this these speeches. Um, Aaron, Brian, and I are in this version of it, and let's actually juxtapose it with like abstract images. And I'm not really interested in the protest footage. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's played out for me. I'm like, don't let me see another fist because I might lose you it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes. 
Thank you. You asked me to raise my fist at one more okay. picture. Okay. Just raise your fist, Patrice. I don't want to do that. I don't I, want I, to. I don't want to. Exactly. This ain't fuck you. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel you. I you do. You feel me. I do. I so do, this girl. piece is really like a, it's a, I would say it's like a fine art doc piece. It's a multimedia piece. Um, very collaborative. And what I'm most excited about is, you know, a lot of people have a lot of theories around how Mike Malcolm died. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we talk about Malcolm leaving the nation, but we don't really kind of talk about why. But I really believe, as I did my research for this piece in 2016, that Malcolm really left the nation because he was fighting for Black women. Mm-hmm. And when he learned about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's abuse of Black women and, and many of them underage Black women. Mm. He was like, this is unacceptable. This is not a place that I can, cont- it's not a man I can, t- can continue following. Um, and I feel like that was one of the big reasons why he left the nation. And we don't talk about that enough. Like mm. his protection and clarity of abusing Black women um, and how much he was not about that life. And mm. so I, the backdrop of this piece is really trying to have that conversation as well. Ooh, you just dropped some dimes, child. (laughs) I want to talk about your book. So you wrote, first of all, shout out to you for always having like the futuristic vision, right? So I know people might have been looking at you sideways talking about what the fuck? Why you name this book when they call you a terrorist? I know they did. I know for a fact. Okay, but you wrote a book. It was a bestseller. It's still it. Listen, how are you going to come on and off the bestseller list? That's what I'm trying to figure out because you're Patrice. Okay. So tell us about the key themes of the book. Sure. Tell us about why it was important for you in particular to turn this memoir, which is gorgeous, into a book for young people. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a lot of feelings about doing this memoir. And I remember talking to you about it and uh, talking to Opal about it and a few other folks and getting the blessing of the people who I, I care about the most, the, the opinions the most. And, you know, I remember you're like, girl, yeah, write that shit. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm about to write it. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but the biggest reason why I wrote the book, it was and is a, a labor of love for our an intervention in the narrative about BLM. And, you know, I remember being um, someone coming to me and saying, hey, I think you should write a book, a you know, publisher. And I was like, no, I'm not interested in that. And like, mm-hmm. no, it was a bit, it was a hard no. And the end of 2015 and then 2016 happened. <laughs> and a huge r- march and rally happened in Texas because Philando Castile had been killed and Alton Sterling and then cops were shot. And then the entire media apparatus shifted its conversation to allowing, let's remember, the media allowed for appointed officials and elected officials to literally blame it on us and call us terrorists. And I remember, because I was just a couple months out from having Shine and I was on maternity leave and you were holding down the the comms infrastructure for BLM and you had to go on national TV and try to navigate. You know, this is not when people were excited about us. Um, we may have been popular in the culture, but politically and 
everywhere else we were not. People were still talking a lot of shit about our leadership and what we were doing. And you had to go on national television and basically tell people we're not terrorists. And I remember the flack you got from the right, from the left. And maybe girl. <laughs> and nobody understanding the kind of pressure that we were under and what we were experiencing. And in that moment, I realized I need to write this book. Hmm. I need to write this book because they're going to go down in history calling us a thing. And we need to go down in history naming what is the truth. That's right. So I was really thinking about writing, you know, the history of BLM. And I was like, that's not appropriate. And I felt like, especially during that time, my story felt really important to tell. And both versions are the same. Um, the YA had some additions that I'll explain. But the themes are really Black single motherhood um, and the U.S. government uh, being a government that doesn't give a fuck about Black women, especially mm-hmm. Black single moms. Um, it's about mental health and the mental health crisis in the country, but here in LA County in particular, it's about grief. Um, I have a whole chapter on my father and his passing and the impact that had on, on, had on me and, and my understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. And it really, what I try to do in this book is sort of like, what makes a person start a movement? <laughs> what makes a human being start something and help start something? And I really wanted to give like a for real human face. Like I needed these folks to know what the hell they've put me and my family through. And that this isn't like this, you know, we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and like black women are so strong. We're the superheroes. No, this is like a very vulnerable offering to share that I just happened to by whatever divine intervention end up being inside a movement that not just helped save my life but an attempt to save my family and my community's life, right? So that's what the book is really about. And then the young adult edition has pictures. I like this edition better, by the way. It's like my favorite. Hey, it has awesome. pictures, my family and my community. And like, it's just, it's a very sweet, sweet offering. When you're speaking about that moment, I remember that shift. I remember that shift. And I remember I like did not leave my house for probably about seven full days and just watched as like every television station you went on this accumulation of matter that calls himself a president (laughs) was literally... Wiling out on the TV, talking about Black Lives Matter, terrorists, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, putting our faces on television in the most many way. Yeah. And it was really the start of the slander. Yes. Um, And there has been much of it. And I want to talk about just keeping it 100. Some of those seeds that were planted back then, good and bad, but let's Mm -hmm. talk about the bad for a second. Mm -hmm are blossoming, right? In a lot of ways, this was a test to see what would stick, what would galvanize people, because this administration has no record to stand on of making anybody's lives better besides their own. That's right. So instead, they want to be cheating and lying and distracting from the fact that they're a disaster. So Black Lives Matter gets slandered every day. 
We got people out here talking wild, acting wild. I just want to get your sense, Patrice. Like, what do you think is the biggest misconception about BLM? And what is the real story? So literally, like, take me into your therapy <laughs> sessions. <laughs> because, girl, I'd be like, where did these motherfuckers read where this shit? Yeah. I'm like, did y'all, is there a fake website out there? What do you, I mean... Them right wingers, they're really good at misinformation and disinformation. Mm. They thrive at it. And mm-hmm. they they know how algorithms work. But actually, misinformation and disinformation spreads faster than the truth online and social media. They're really good at it. I think the biggest misconception clearly is that we are a terrorist organization trying to destroy the very fabric of this country. I mean, it's the, it's the most, I've been thinking about it a lot lately because as I'm watching real life white terrorists destroy the country, that's right. kill people at peaceful protests, that's right. um, create hysteria and chaos. I am, the gaslighting and the projection of what is happening is so completely maddening that you just have to take a moment and like, I always try to walk people through this. Like, let's think about Black Lives Matter. Let's think about the three Black women that started Black Lives Matter and just like take a moment on their history, which is why the memoir was so important to write. So I was like, I'm just going to tell you what I actually grew up with and witnessed and saw Mm -hmm. and what I've done. None of us have a history of violence, literally. Never. Bitch, I ain't never been in a fight. How about that? Let's start here. I don't kill spiders, okay? I put spiders in a cup and take them outside, okay? Literally, (laughs) literally. I cry when I watch a commercial of someone being... Assaulted, maybe, or verbally, totally. like literally. I'm like, totally. can I watch this? Totally. No history of mm. violence. Correct. And then I'm like, okay, what have we said throughout the years? Oh, we want the cops to stop killing us. We want Black people to have jobs. Mm-hmm. We want us to have a fair wage. And I'm like, Let's actually put in perspective what we have called for and what we have asked for. Just take the three of us. We don't need to take the whole entire movement. Talk about the three of us and what we've asked for. And then I want to take the things that we've actually won, the victories that we've had to to improve the lives of not just Black people, but all people who live in this country. So then there's that, right? Like the truth. And then I want to talk about the right. And how they have created the most dangerous environment for every single human being, including themselves, including themselves inside of this country. They have created mass hysteria. They've created chaos. They have created real physical violence, not only on our communities, it also for white communities. They've created a level of violence and backlash that only they have been the main purveyors of. So I'm watching all these commercials that they've created that is using BLM as a way to dissuade people from from voting on the Democratic ticket. And I'm just like, 
the only thing that they have on us, which is deeply unfortunate, is really strong propaganda. Mm-hmm. And we have the truth and we have the reality of what has happened in the last seven years. And so I, I am in this moment where I'm just trying to keep relying on the truth. And right. when I have an opportunity to talk to folks like you and knowing that this podcast is going to air to remind people to just walk people because that's what you have to do. Sometimes you just have to walk people through. Like, let's take a moment to understand, you know, what has happened. And I always try to remind people this. If ever you're watching something on social media or commercial or reading something that elicits a great level of anxiety inside of you, it means it's propaganda. It means it's probably disinformation and misinformation to make you feel a heightened sense of fear that you probably didn't feel before. So don't let them succeed in that. Don't let them succeed in pitting you against one of the most powerful, peaceful, and vibrant social movements this country has seen in a very, very long time. You understand me? Like, you just gave me the damn pep talk of the day. Honestly, people be out here and... I never know how much to get into it. No, girl. I mean, I was literally on a Zoom call with my family this Sunday. We do Sunday Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. And one of my family members was like, I mean, I know what y'all about, but in my school district, they are banning teachers from talking about Black Lives Matter on the basis that it's a terrorist organization. Yes. <laughs> and so what do I say to people? And I was like, find the receipts. Mm. Where are the receipts? There are no receipts. They don't have it. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do This Week. Number one, white power. Lord, the first presidential debate of the general election was a hot ass mess. What other way would you describe it? I'm going to keep it real here. I don't think I understand the strategy of having a yelling match between three white men. There's this thing happening right now that I've been saying for a while, where somehow there are still people in this country who think that Donald Trump follows rules. How, Sway? We all anticipated that this was going to be a shit show with networks giving Trump a platform to party and bullshit. And then the coup de grace here was that this heifer Trump told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by when asked if he would denounce white supremacist groups. My G, why not just give a Nazi salute on the platform? And I will say this, if this Biden campaign don't get it all the way together, child, and start hammering this man on his racist allegiances, then I don't really think they're trying to win at all. There's no irony in watching three white men stand by while black people get thrown under the bus yet again. Donald Trump been riding for his people and his people been riding for him. That's not news. But I can't help but observe for a man who was put in this role by black people all along the way, it sure was interesting to see how weak his game was, as Outcast would say. Anywho, looks like Black women gotta come and clean up this disaster on aisle 2020. Again. We'll definitely be tuning in to see Kamala next week wipe the floor with Mike Pence, 
who honestly is giving me serious it-puts-the-lotion-in-the-basket vibes. Other things that Lady just ain't gonna do this week, social media beef. So, you know, I had a weird-ass social media moment this week, and it made me think, Lady gets really irritated by nonsense. The thing that irritates me the most is when you're loud and wrong. Now, look, I'm not going to get into the details of all this, but let's just take a few of the points that I think are important for us to reflect on. There's an actual issue here. Very few of us have a practice of being challenged and being humble enough to say, you know what? Yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, that was foul. Let me not do that again. But lots of y'all be arguing points and you be loud and you be wrong and you refuse to actually just be wrong. You ain't gotta be loud about it, but just say, look, I was wrong. It ain't that deep. Anywho, I also wanna just make clear, you don't get to be loud and wrong just because you're black or you're queer or you're non-binary or whatever. Also, a reminder to myself, it's okay not to drag hoes who have no fucking idea what they're talking about. You grown, sis. Pat on the back for that one. In other news, things that Lady loves this week. Lovecraft Country, of course. I mean, the brilliance and wisdom of this show makes me want to cry. I am devastated that there's only three episodes left in this season. It's not fair. It makes me want to throw a temper tantrum. In any case, before I do, this week was a whole-ass homage to Black women and the world that we hold on our shoulders. What I loved about it was how vulnerable it was. Every Black woman in America could relate to that episode. If I ever go back to teaching, I'm finna use it in my class. We are all Hippolyta Berry, child. The other thing that Lady loves this week is making plans to vote. So look, the first step in getting us out of this complete disaster is not to leave your power on the table for somebody else to use. If it was up to these folks, you wouldn't get a say in absolutely anything. So I checked on my voter registration status today and yep, I'm registered at the right address. Next step is to receive my ballot. So if you're in California and you're registered to vote, you will automatically receive a mail-in ballot. Ballots are supposed to be mailed out on October 5th. If you don't receive yours by the 10th, call the registrar. And when you get it, set aside some time to complete it. Given the whole shit with the postal service and whatnot, I think you should give yourself two weeks to get your ballot in. It really doesn't take that long. California voters must have their ballots postmarked by Election Day, which is November 3rd. This is different in other states, so check out the Black Futures Lab's Electoral Action Center to find out if you're registered and to learn the rules around how to cast your ballot. Don't forget to sign it. Sign it, sign it, sign it, sign it, sign it. Otherwise, it won't be valid. Fill out the ballot from top to bottom, seal the envelope, throw a stamp on that bad boy if you need to, and sign the back. That's it. You did it. Look at you saving democracy one step at a time. It's 30 plus days until election season, my people. Remember to make a plan to vote.
Well, Patrice, I want to raise a virtual glass to you. <laughs> One, because you're just such a lovely human. And two, because you just make me laugh so hard. And three, just for being the courageous, brilliant, loving soul that you are that really I think is one of the brightest lights in this movement and in our generation so thank you for everything you do and keep doing and I have your back 105% your front your back your sides all the things always have as we wrap up today tell the people who are listening where they can get in touch with you on all the socials and before you do I will say we had Dream Hampton on this show Ah, we had Dream Hampton on this show and Dream, when we came to this question, Dream was like, you know, I'll catch you when I catch you. <laughs> Not surprised. Not she surprised. Was like, I don't actually want to connect with you on the social. So I say this just to let you know that is a completely acceptable answer. <laughs> I love the Hampton. I love Dream. You know? <laughs> Um, no, I love the social, so you could definitely catch me there at uh, O S O P E P A T R I S S E. That's on everything. That's on Twitter and Instagram. I barely use Facebook anymore, but you could definitely reach me there. I love you so much, baby. I love you, babe. So that's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I'll be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where you used to have a commute. We appreciate you joining us and let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you just ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about the things you hear about on this show on our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Latirix. This pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, sometimes being a grown-up is refusing to cuss somebody out who is wrong as two left shoes. Racism is on the ballot in November, so act accordingly and make a plan to vote because there are people out there who plan to keep you from voting. That's right. I said it because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. Insist don't respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing don't play. The girl take herself so serious. People stare curious. Got a natural way. Her hips sway furious. Like a luxurious. Love y'all.